0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Continuing our series today, The Suffering and Triumph of Jesus, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 14, verses 1 to 3, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message, His Resurrection and Ours.
1: There is so much we can learn about the resurrection of Jesus. one of the most encouraging lessons for believers is that Jesus' resurrection forms the basis for our own future resurrection. As he was raised bodily, so at the end of the age, we too will experience our own bodily resurrection. Paul explains this matter so well in a number of different Bible texts. On the one hand, Paul had the absolute assurance that at the very point of his death, he would be consciously in the presence of the Lord. He says so on at least two significant occasions. The first comes to us from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. He says, Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. You know, for Paul, being at home means being in the Lord's presence, and being away means being away from the immediate presence of the Lord, which means for Him living in this present fallen, decaying body. For Paul, there are only two possibilities, living in this present body or being in the immediate presence of God. There is for him no soul sleep or no unconscious existence. For him, there are only two options. The second such hope is expressed in Philippians chapter 1, verses 23-24. to 24. He says, I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Again, the dichotomy for Paul is clear. If he departs from the flesh, meaning if he dies, he is with Christ. But we also know that for Paul, even the dead or those who have departed and are with Christ are still awaiting the resurrection of the body. He states that in Philippians chapter 3, verses 20-21. to 21, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. And of course, Paul states that this event is going to happen at the last trumpet, when the dead will rise, meaning the deceased and decayed bodies of believers will be transformed to be like the glorious body of Jesus. And that, dear friends, is the blessed hope. John says so in 1 John 3, verse 2. He says, we will be like him. Now, for this reason, every single believer has a keen interest in the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. The more we learn about his post-resurrection appearances and about his subsequent ascension into heaven, the more we learn about our own future. For we are united with Christ. His future and our future are one and the same. And so, I know that today is Good Friday, and it would be quite normal for me to speak about Christ's crucifixion. But I've spent over a week on that theme, and I think it's quite fitting for the occasion to speak not so much of the actual resurrection itself, but about the nature of Christ's resurrection life. You know, a careful study of the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus shows us that the Bible records numerous resurrection appearances of Jesus. The first grouping occurs on the actual Sunday of his resurrection. Another appearance occurs exactly one week later, on the Sunday after the resurrection. Then we find a number of appearances that occur in the 40-day window between his resurrection and his ascension into heaven. And then the actual ascension itself and the explanation of what happened there tells us a great deal about the life to come. So in today's message, I want to divide the material in our Bible into four sections. The first, the appearances of Jesus on the day of his resurrection. Second, the appearances of Jesus during the 40 days on earth. And then third, the ascension of Jesus. And then finally, what all of that means to us. So let's start with the appearances of Jesus on that first Easter morning. The first one is recorded in John 20, and it's the encounter of Mary with Jesus. In her grief, she wrongly assumes that the risen Jesus is the gardener, and so she's not paying any attention to him. According to verse 16, what got her attention is that Jesus said her name, Mary. Immediately, she recognized his voice, looked up, and ran to him. And as we know, all voices have a distinctive quality to them, and Jesus in his resurrection still has the distinctive voice that made him familiar to his followers. And then according to John, Mary wanted to cling to him, which I have to assume meant that she wanted to hug him and just not let him go. And Jesus told her not to, for in his words, he said, "'I have not yet ascended to my Father.'" And that must mean that even though his spirit was in the Father's presence, he had not yet bodily been in his Father's presence. So, if we think about it, that tells us something very interesting. Even though Jesus being fully God is omnipresent, yet he is not bodily omnipresent. Just like earthly bodies are spatially located, so it is with him. He is bodily present at only one place at one time. And that's why he's telling Mary he can't remain with her. His first order of business is to be bodily present before the Father. Well, let's move to another appearance of Jesus on Easter Sunday. This one's found in Matthew 28, verse 9. And Jesus has by then already met with the other women, but on this occasion, Jesus met with his disciples. Matthew simply says, they took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Now, I'm assuming they fell before him and they touched his feet. So here we see Jesus not just bodily, but that the parts of his body are very much like our own. He has feet, and we must assume, therefore, he doesn't just glide along, but he walks in order to move about. and That fits perfectly with the appearance of Jesus recorded in Luke 24 as he met with the disciples on the way to Emmaus. Jesus walks with them, and in that encounter, they discuss suggesting that in the resurrection, human discourse is the means by which we communicate. You know, it's not mind-melding, like they do in science fiction movies, or whatever people might conceive. They communicate much as we do. And furthermore, they discuss the meaning of Scripture. And Then they sit together and they break bread, meaning that they share a meal. And then he vanishes, and at first glance, it seems to give us the impression that he's able to, in some fashion, simply disappear. I mean, does he materialize and then dematerialize at will? Well. That gives rise to the next encounter with Jesus, in which, in Luke 24, verse 34, we're simply told that he appeared to Peter. And then following that, we have the next encounter at the end of Luke 24, in which he suddenly appears among the disciples, in which he invites them to touch him and to examine whether he's a mere spirit or whether he has genuine substance. And Luke 24, 39, records Jesus as saying, see my hands and my feet that it is I myself touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Now, flesh and bones speaks of a genuine skeletal structure with tissues, muscles, nerves, all the regular parts of a human body. That statement surely flies in the face of the idea that Jesus simply materialized and dematerialized at will. We notice that he has a real human body. We notice that he walks and talks and has his own recognizable voice, and his body does not appear in different places at the same time. See, just like any human being, he is spatially located. Now then, let's go to the second division of our material, that is, his appearances during the 40-day period before his ascension. When Jesus appeared to the other disciples that first Easter Sunday, Thomas was not among them. And John 20 verse 19 now mentions that exactly one week later, the next Sunday, Thomas is among them. And John 20 verse 19 mentions that the doors are locked and that Jesus simply came and stood among them. I mean, given that we've already told that he vanished on one occasion, and now he stands in a room with locked doors, we're again led to wonder whether his body is some kind of a vapor, after all. He seems to appear and disappear and walk through locked doors. But lest we think that, Jesus invites Thomas to examine him physically, to place his hands into Jesus' side, and to feel the marks of the crucifixion, that they are still present on the raised body of Jesus. Clearly... Jesus' body is a real physical body, so much so that the marks of his crucifixion are still there. Unless we're to argue that he was deliberately misleading Thomas, making it appear only that he had flesh and bones and a real skeletal structure, well, if he's not lying, and he isn't, we need to assume that he's not a vapor after all. That leads us with several questions. Did Jesus really walk through a locked door? I mean, the text never says that he did. I know it's popularly believed that he did, but the Bible doesn't say so. It's also possible that he simply miraculously opened a locked door and came through while no one was watching. Indeed, that seems far more likely. And when he vanished at Emmaus, it's possible that he got up from the table and walked out without anybody watching. See, the overwhelming evidence is that he was bodily human even as we are.
0: For anyone seeking to know God, or to understand the Bible and how it can be applied to your daily life, Back to the Bible Canada provides trustworthy Bible teaching resources addressing relevant questions of life and faith. If you believe in the importance of sharing the Word of God across our nation, perhaps you'd consider offering a financial gift to support Back to the Bible Canada this month. Or consider even becoming a member of our 1119 Fellowship, our monthly giving program. Your regular gift ensures that the daily Bible teaching program you're hearing right now is heard in your community and across the country. Your gift of any amount allows the Word of God to reach those searching for truth. To send a one-time gift or to become an 1119 monthly partner, call us today at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.
1: All the post-resurrection encounters with Jesus tell us that even though his body was made new, that is, it was not subject to death and dying, yet it was very much a real body. And whatever the explanation of being in a room with locked doors, the Bible is very clear that the explanation is not that his body is a vapor or a spirit that glides through solid objects and simply materializes at will. Indeed it says just the opposite. His body has mass. It was real with physical dimensions. Even though it was a body not subject to death, he still walks, he still reasons, he still has flesh and bones and all the regular features that we think about when we see a human body. And so, from the actual day of his resurrection to exactly one week later, we find that the followers of Jesus discovered a Jesus who was just as real and substantive as the Jesus they knew from before his resurrection. Although we are told they touched and handled him, they recognized his voice and he interacted with them in real human ways, we do know that on occasion they wondered if it was truly him. Well, the explanation to that phenomenon seems to be that the raised body of Jesus seems to have had none of the weaknesses that attend a human body that is subject to suffering and to disease and to death. You see, all the marks of his sorrow seem to have been erased in his resurrection so that even though he was fully human, yet his new humanity was a humanity after a new order when sin and death no longer have sway. Jesus spent 40 days with his disciples after his resurrection. One such appearance is described in John chapter 21. The disciples are back in Capernaum and they've gone fishing. They've been out at night and as morning breaks, a man is standing on the seashore. He's calling out, have you caught anything? Well, they haven't and then they hear his voice from the shore. He tells them to throw their nets out on the other side of the boat and suddenly the net is filled with fish. And John immediately knows it's Jesus. He's been showing up at various moments. And when they all get to shore, they find that Jesus has made a fire. He's inviting them to breakfast. And that morning, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he eats bread and fish with them. It turns out that in the resurrection, you can enjoy breakfast. Well, Jesus did. And on that same occasion, after breakfast, Jesus and Peter went for a long walk on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. They have unfinished business. Peter had denied Jesus, and Jesus was interested in restoring Peter. It was delicate. It was deeply emotional for Peter. But one thing's clear. When Peter and Jesus discussed the past, it's clear that for Jesus to be human, there is a continuity of personhood with real memories and the reality of human interaction. See, I mentioned this detail because some of us have mistakenly assumed that all the bad things that we've done in this life and the nasty things that we've experienced are going to be forgotten in the life to come. You know, even when God says he doesn't remember our sins, we don't mean by that, and the Bible doesn't mean by that, that God suffers from amnesia. Rather, he means he doesn't recall our sins as a part of his case against us those evil things are reconciled in the life to come. They're healed. They're made into something that reflects the grace of God. But of course, they're remembered. You know, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 6, Paul mentions that on one occasion, Jesus appeared to more than 500 of his followers at one time. One's reminded of the meetings that Jesus used to have, where he spoke to and instructed his followers. So, I have no doubt. He was preaching on that occasion, just as he used to preach in Galilee before. And the next verse, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 7, mentions that Jesus appeared to James, who, as you might know, was his brother, or I guess technically his half-brother. You know, prior to that time, John reports, and that's found in John 7, verse 5, that his brothers didn't believe in him. I can only imagine. It must have been difficult for James and the rest to believe that their brother was in fact the Son of God who has eternally existed. And So even though the Bible provides us with no details, we we should imagine the private meeting between James and Jesus. Was this like the long walk that Jesus had with Peter? Well, perhaps. But in James came the dawning realization that all this while he had never understood who his brother was. I wonder if he fell down before his brother. As Thomas had done and proclaimed, my Lord and my God. I think he did. But here we see Jesus convincing so many people, even as he had done before. You know, the Bible only records several hints of the abundance of Jesus' activity during those 40 days. Mark 16 verse 14 indicates that at the beginning, Jesus rebuked the 11 for not believing instantly. In Matthew 28, it says that when Jesus gave the Great Commission, they actually went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Now, we can't be sure which mountain he's referring to, but clearly, he directed them to a certain place where he gave them extensive teaching about the worldwide ministry of the gospel and their next steps. You know, we're reminded of the time when he would get away alone, away from the crowds, and just instruct the disciples. See, that was a pattern he had developed, and he was following that pattern now. And so we have to assume that during the 40 days, he met with his disciples often and instructed them often. There was so much to learn during those 40 days. The worldwide mission of the church was before them. I have no doubt they had much to learn, many misunderstandings to clear up. They had to grasp how it was that the Scripture had already prophesied all of these things. Must have been amazing days. And at the end of that time, according to Acts 1 verse 4, he directs them to go to Jerusalem and not to leave. He there teaches them that they're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and when that event happens, they will have all the power they need to bring the gospel to the world. But some of them are still confused. Are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel at this time? He doesn't deny that he's going to do that but he does say that he will not tell them the times and seasons that the Father has fixed for these events. And then he probably leads them out of the city towards Bethany, where they have frequently stayed. And then as they're watching him, he begins to ascend to heaven until a cloud took him out of their sight. Now, you and I must think at this moment, the most obvious question that we would have asked. I mean, just where did he go? I mean, the very fact, as we have seen, that Jesus' physical body could be in but one place at one time, well, that tells us that he actually went somewhere. That indicates to me that heaven exists somewhere. (laughs) Are you surprised to hear that? But what else are we supposed to think? I mean, after all, he is going, physically going to his father. Now he's physically journeying there. I mean, please don't hear me saying that if you get out your telescope, you could somewhere physically see heaven. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that heaven is somewhere. It's not just a spiritual dimension. It's as physical as Jesus is. What does all of that tell us? Well, please remember John chapter 14, verses 2 and 3. Jesus there taught, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. You know, since the resurrection is literal, physical, and bodily, and since the actions of Jesus are as physical after his resurrection as they were before, how else should we read John 14 but through those glasses? Right now, Jesus is seated in the place of authority and power at the the right hand of his Father, but he's also creating the best possible dwelling place for all who hope in him. His promise is that he will come and get us. We're reminded of Job in the First Testament. Job 19, verses 25 and 26 records his words. Job said, "'For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth.'" And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. And that, dear friends, is the hope of the resurrection. Our Savior appeared to be alive even as we are. His plan for us is that we join Him, ruling and reigning over His vast creation, far greater than anything we can conceive. But He is our first fruit. His resurrection paved the way for ours, and right now He has gone into heaven to prepare an eternal dwelling for us. So if you don't know Christ, might I ask you to consider his invitation. Matthew 11 verse 28 says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Christ calls you, come to him, confess your sins, put your faith in him, be united with him so that you are not only united in his death, but also in his resurrection. Come and accept the free gift from his hand, the gift of eternal life. He should know he's the only one who can give it.
0: John, one of the things that overwhelms me is the, is the very idea that we can share in his resurrection, that, that we too will be like him.
1: Yeah, I know. That's why I think every Christian wants to know more about what resurrection was like for our Lord. I mean, how did he experience life afterwards? Because our lives are, as you have said, hid in him. So as is his future, so is our future as well. I mean, that's the glorious good news this Easter season. And you know, Ben, I think we, you and I both wanna say uh, a happy Good Friday and a happy Easter Sunday to everyone who's listening. This is our grand hope. We will share the very same future as Jesus. He has called us into that in our salvation. In fact, He
0: has risen. Thanks so much, John, and remember to join us again right here on Back to the Bible Canada where we teach the Bible. Easter is a pivotal time in the life of a Christian. The foundation of our faith relies on the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Back to the Bible Canada has a two-part video series, an Easter series, available this week on Back to the Bible Canada's YouTube channel as well as backtothebible.ca. Special musical guests Brian Dirksen and Stephanie Radikop will provide inspirational music, and you'll be refreshed and strengthened in your walk with Jesus under the Bible teaching of Dr. John Neufeld. You'll be reminded that Easter offers hope, forgiveness, love, and the promise of eternal life with our Savior. So remember, join us for an Easter series right here on backtothebiblecanada.ca or join us on the Back to the Bible Canada YouTube channel. For more information, visit backtothebible.ca or call 1-800-663-2425.